Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm the payments professor, and we're here to bring you some incredible creative education when it comes to the world of electronic payments. I know sometimes it can be dull and boring, but the truth is we're moving money. That money gets lost. That money comes with risk. That money comes with regulatory implications. And sometimes when we move that money, well, we need to move it internationally. So today, we're going to talk about moving money internationally. I have Andrew Wolfling with Tempest. Andrew, would you like to say hi to everybody? Hello, everyone. How are you? Pleasure to be here. All right. Andrew, if I'm correct. I think you said you've got about 20 years of working in the world of foreign exchange. Is that right? Yeah, well, actually, even more than that, I go back almost 30 years, probably when I look at the start of my career in banking and payments. So I go way, way back. Um, and, and there's been a lot of change over the years, of course. And it continues to, you know, it continues to uh, continues to happen. Okay, I got to ask, what makes somebody go, I'm going to work in foreign exchange. I want to exchange money from one country to another. How, how did that happen? Well, I've always been interested in international. And I think actually, I, as a kid, I lived in Japan and I studied abroad in university in France. So I sort of had the international bug from a young age. And that, that sort of informed my career to get into international transactions and payments and foreign currency across borders or, you know, a natural sort of linkage. And um, so I've had, you know, my career has gone back into the banking world and the fintech world around payments and, and the foreign currency piece of it. Really, an international payment cross borders, you have, you have the FX piece and then you have, you have the payment piece and they sort of, they sort of marry together. Um, but it's, it, you know, I worked earlier in my career on the launch of the euro in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was really exciting because it was a sort of new currency was being born. And um, I was living in London at the time working on the euro. And so it was, a, you know, it was a really exciting time. And being, you know, being in payments and FX was so much happening was, uh, you know, a, a sort of a hot spot, you know, hot, hot bed of activity, so to speak. So it was a great, great to be involved in it, uh, even going back that far. Wow, that actually is cool. <laughs> From Japan to France to London, being able to launch yeah. the euro. You talked to, you You said real briefly there, you said you have the FX piece and you have the payments piece. Now, some yeah. of our listeners, they, they've been in payments for years and some are brand new. What's the FX piece and what's the payments piece and what's the difference? Sure. Well, so, so the FX are foreign currency, foreign exchange. That's converting from one currency to another currency, U.S. dollars to euro, British pounds to Japanese yen, any, any combination where one currency is converted into the value of another currency. And then, of course, the international payment is, is moving it from one country across the borders into the recipient country, the beneficiary country. So, you know, the sender and the receiver. So that's the international payment piece of it. Um, and the foreign exchange market is an enormous market. Trillions of dollars are traded each day, um, of which a, a couple of hundred billion are sort of commercial transactions, uh, meaning you know people are buying stuff, products, and paying for it. Um, and a lot of the other foreign exchanges, a lot of uh, speculative trading. But there is a big piece that's commercial. So, you know, importing food and wine and cars and equipment and all sorts of stuff that, that gets paid for 
uh, in a foreign currency. And that's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of that is being converted every, every day. I, I got a question too, because we like to focus on the past here at the beginning, and, and we've, we've learned a lot about your past. I'm just curious, all right, here we are in 2020. If we take a time machine back 20 years ago, it's 2000, what's an international payment look like in 2000? Like, how long does it take? What, what's it going to cost even to be able to make that payment? Let's just theoretically say it's going to be a payment that goes from the US to the UK. What would that be like? Yeah, well, um, you know, someone could, it depends, someone trying to make that payment, they might have to go to their bank, they might have to call their bank. Um, it can be slow, cumbersome, it can be very expensive in terms of the wire fee, the transaction fee. It could be a pain in the neck to get all of the details of the, the recipient, the beneficiary. Um, and then, you know, the rate of exchange won't be so transparent. They won't know exactly if that was a good rate or not. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it, and it could take several days. And if there's a mistake in the, the banking information, it could take, it could take longer. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't always the most uh, efficient, efficient process um, at that time. So I would say that's, that's sort of a high level assessment of how it would have been done at that time and you even mentioned wire fee wire was about the only option then wasn't it yeah yeah that's correct i mean although i mean some people even back then i mean they were doing foreign drafts and th th that's something that's gone away now basically but that you know they would go to their bank and buy a foreign draft or their financial provider and mail a check a foreign currency check so you know that obviously was um, you know, laden with problems. It could be lost, stolen, you know, fraudulently altered. So there's a lot of risk with foreign drafts. They take a long time to get there. And so they were, it's really a clunky way to, to move money. Um, and yeah, so that was an alternative too. But that's, I think that is, that has gone, gone to the wayside. I think as things have become more electronic, much more electronic, uh, the drafts are, are a thing of the past. Well, it's funny to mention that, you know, foreign drafts or drafts even being a thing of the past because we see check volume here in the States is going down, but it's not going away. But I like to that, you know, I love to set up what does it look like? What did it look like? And I can remember in the, you know, 2000s, early 2000s, when somebody would be like, how much is it going to cost to send this money to this location? And this was working with IET, uh, International ACH Transactions in its infancy, mm -hmm. that I would tell them, well, that's depends and they'd be like well what's it depend on well it depends on what's the foreign exchange rate for that day for that time and how many hands are going to be involved in moving moving of that actual transaction too because everybody's going to take their little fee well how much is that fee well it depends what do you mean it depends well it depends on again what country you're going through and which hands it goes through and then you know i remember too at times that i'd have somebody on day one say okay here it is this is how much it's going to cost you you want to get say theoretically $100 over there, it's going to cost you $132. Well, then they come in day two and they're like, all right, I want to move my $100. Here's my $132. And I tell them, oh, no, 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 no. Today it's going to cost you $145. And they'll be, well, why, why? I'm going to the same place. Yeah, but it's getting routed differently. The exchange rates have changed. That was yesterday. This is today. But mm -hmm. this is today. Let's go ahead and get into today. What's it look like? Because, you know, I know you work with Tempest and that you guys are like masters of being able to do a lot of the foreign exchange. What does it look like today in comparison to 20 years ago? 
Is there that transparency? What's the process like? What are my options? So I think today, one of the big things you see is automation. So uh, clients are able to initiate those transactions uh, through a, an online platform or a, a mobile app or an online platform. They certainly can, they can certainly still telephone or email, but you know, the adoption of online systems is, is be, you know, becoming prevalent uh, because it gives, it gives uh, you know, clients a lot of flexibility, right? They, it's right at their fingertips. They log on whenever they need to do it. And the system, you know, a good system will prompt, prompt someone to, to get the correct information to make sure it's a, val, a valid SWIFT number, a valid IBAN, which stands for International Bank Account Number. Um, and, and a good system will validate it for each currency. So some, some countries have an IBAN, others have, for example, in Mexico, it's called a CLABE. It's the bank information and the system has to you know, properly say, yes, this, this will work, this one's in the right format or it's not. And if it's not, it has to be corrected for you before you input it because otherwise your payment can go, can get lost or delayed. So, you know, good systems are able to validate that, that recipient information is properly formatted. Um, and then, of course, you know, the exchange rates now are real time. So you can get into the system and click, click in two seconds and get the current exchange rate that will be applied to your transaction. So you don't have to go back or it, it's, you can accept it or you can refresh it and buy it later in the, you know, at another time. But it's right at your fingertips. It's extremely convenient and um, it, good system is extremely secure. So it's convenient, it's secure, it's loaded with that, the things that someone who needs to send that payment requires, you know, a, a very transparent what the rate is and what information they need to send the payment. And then it can be done very quickly. So that's, that's sort of how we've evolved, evolved today um, in terms of giving, giving that front-end user or client that ability to really very conveniently manage a transaction. Um, so that's that's this sort of just it's a lot easier and it's a lot faster, and uh, and and a lot more automated basically. Is I would say that the big sort of drivers of change uh, in the present versus versus twenty years ago. I, I love the difference right there. Twenty years ago, you're calling the bank; it's cumbersome and it's cl clunky. You go to today, and it's flexible; it's at your fingertips, and it's fast. That's a huge change. But one thing that I know never changes, no matter what channel you're working with when it comes to money, is the risk that are going to be involved in it. And I'd ask too, what's the evolution of the risk and, you know, the regulatory, the compliance side of things? That, that's always a big deal. Everybody, when they start looking at options, and I think, without a doubt, when we get to talking about the future, the future is faster global payments. But that's just a teaser for all of y'all. We'll get there. But what does the regulatory, the risk, the compliance side of things look like? Because everybody's wanting to know that one because nobody wants to lose money. Nobody wants to get written up in an audit. Uh, nobody wants to be found, hey, you're not in compliance. So over the years, what does that look like? How has that evolved? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, when I joined Tempest 13 years ago, we were, at that time, the regulation was really sort of starting to heat up. It was, um, in terms of becoming licensed everywhere, more, more regulatory oversight. Um, companies like Tempest are known as money service businesses and we're like a bank, we have, we're a regulated entity just like a bank. So we have to comply with money laundering and business soundness and system security. Um, one of the big risks, you know, is knowing your client in a highly automated environment that we're in today, 
uh, you have to have controls to make sure you're not dealing with bad guys. And so that's one thing, you know, just being uh, on top of the, the, the controls and the risk management of who's coming on board. But in terms of, you know, sending a payment, uh, one of the big risks that, that, that we see, we see folks um, trying to hack, uh, hack, hack basically emails and trying to get, get information. So if, so if a company here has an overseas supplier and that German or French supplier emails their banking information, there are hackers who will try and intercept those emails, alter the instructions, and then the U.S. company receives it. And unbeknownst to them, the, the instructions have been changed to the, to, the, to the bank account of the bad guys. So that type of you know, fraud is something that uh, you have to be very careful and um, you know, put measures in place to, to mitigate that, that risk. So that's, that's one risk that's, that's um, out there that could really put funds at, at risk of you know, being misrouted to, to fraudsters. All right. That um, one's so, always been fascinating to me that you're saying that basically somebody is looking for an email in flight and we know emails go rather quickly and they're trying to catch it, change it before it actually goes. But some of that though, is they actually have hacked the machine on one side. And when somebody goes to send that information, they're looking for it to, as it's being prepared to make sure that they can change it before it goes out. Yeah. Uh, or is it a little bit of both? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, uh, yeah. The, it, it's oftentimes the, those emails are intercepted, and and you know what we do is we will call our client and say, hey, we just received this new banking instruction from you. We want to verify that this is who you want us to pay. And so a client will say, yes, that's you know X Y Z in Germany, and that's his account number. But if the email has been hacked and they've received it hacked, they're going to confirm bogus information. So we we suggest that clients actually, you know confirm the banking details with their suppliers in Germany or Japan or, or England or wherever, you know, to confirm it. Because if you confirm it and you talk with them, it's a sort of hard way for a fraudster to get around that. Um, and, and they're very, the fraudsters are always constantly tweaking their tactics. So you have to evolve with that. But um, secure online systems help a lot. Um, and, you know, putting measures in place like one I just described help to, to really reduce that risk of, uh, you know, instructions being manipulated. I agree. Uh, confirming and callbacks outside of the channel they've received have always been effective, whether it's international or domestic. So I love seeing that one. And, and you mentioned onboarding risk too. And I know when we go international, the one thing that I've seen, especially smaller financial institutions where they just are like, I'm not going there, is you just say OFAC. And that's the Office of Foreign Asset Control. But OFAC. I mean, I've seen people about shiver and I mean, no, that, that's just the response because OFAC, it, 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 it's like a four letter word, but it's, it's important. It needs to be there. And it's, is it something somebody should be worried about or is it really something that they should be working to control and manage and well, of course, be in compliance with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the latter. I, you know, it's funny. We, we, when we're making payments, we have to monitor them from a from a transaction risk standpoint. So we're filtering every transaction, and we run it against OFAC. But not only OFAC. I think we have over thirty different prohibited lists from countries all over the world. So, and you know, FBI has lists, CIA has lists, the UK, Japan, all these countries, the United Nations. They all have these different, if you will, bad guy lists. So we're running against all of those. And I think, you know, we, we, we um, you know, if, if, if businesses know who they're dealing with, then, you know, they should be in good shape. 
they, you know, if they have trusted suppliers they've dealt with for a long time, uh, I think they're going to be okay with OFAC. Um, but you know, we have specific things we have to do if if we ever get an OFAC hit. Uh, you know, in terms of you know managing those when if if and when they occur. But um, I, I think it's just good business practice knowing who you're dealing with. People will be able to you know steer clear of these prohibited lists. Um, and obviously, if you don't know who you're dealing with, you're you're increasing your your risk. I, I wrote a an article a while ago on that on the OFAC risk and. Basically, if, 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 if a company sends a payment and then there's some, there's some query on something in the, in, the, in the beneficiary instructions, it's not uncommon for a company like Tempest or a bank or whoever to go back out to the client and ask for some additional information, date of birth, that sort of thing, uh, you know, address, things like that, just to try to further validate it because you can get a lot of uh, what are called false positives where you think it's a bad guy, but it's really not. So that's usually what we've found when we have these initial initial hits on the bad guy lists. All right, you just unpacked a lot of great information in there. Uh, I'm gonna go backwards a little bit through it and hopefully I won't forget everything for y'all listening. But one thing is, is what to do when you have an OFAC hit. Uh, that's a huge thing actually. I, I've got a video out on the Payments Professor website in an IET series that walks through that process. But you said you've got an article. If you will share yep. that with me, I'll make sure to put that out when we promote this podcast too, so that everybody will be able to see that article too, because that is a really big thing right there. What you. do you do? Like, what, what's the first thing you do, you would say to somebody when you have an OFAC list? Now, this is after you do the OFAC, I have a hit, what do I do? I mean, what's the next thing you do after the OFAC hit? Well, so we have a whole compliance team and they'll, they'll research it. They'll try to, they'll do some research to try to figure out if it's a real hit or a false positive. And oftentimes they might, as I said earlier, they might need a piece of information, additional information that will allow them to further that research. And it could be a date of birth. It could be an address. It could be a full name because like, it, you know, John Smith, you know, type of generic name might might show up, but it, uh, you know, so they might want the full name, John, you know, John S. Smith or whatever, you know, middle initial type thing. So they'll dig around and try to get some additional information. Um, and if that's provided, that, that helps, that helps, um, you know, Tempest um, to be able to do the research properly and, and to determine if it's, if it's a hit or not. Uh, and we also get queried by you know, we use a couple of banks around the world to send our payments. They occasionally might have a query to us on one of our payments as well. So we're doing this ourselves as well with our upstream providers. But um, I mean, I guess if you if you truly have an OFAC hit that's an actual hit, you know, there's a protocol of what we have to do. We have to uh, contact OFAC. We have to freeze the payment um, and just hold it and then await further instructions from the government. We can't return the money at that point. But, you know, that's never, that's never happened with Tempest because we're, you know, we're working very carefully with clients and, and um, making sure that the type of transactions they're doing are unlikely to result in OFAC, OFAC transactions. And, you know, Kevin, that gets back to your point about regulation and how it's changed. Um, you know, we're, we're, when we onboard clients, we're, we go to great length to understand why do you need to make international payments? Who are you paying? How often are you paying them? What currencies are you using? What size payments do you make? And we document all that 
so that when we're asked, we can say, oh, yes, XYZ company imports French wine, so they need euros and they do it four times a year and the average transaction is X euros. And we know that about our clients. Um, so when you know that level of granularity in terms of information, it's less likely you're gonna get those OFAC hits. Oh, wow. All right, this is a topic I get too excited about. We, we've, we, we've hit on hackers, that's a huge risk area. We talked about yeah. OFAC, that's a huge risk area. But you know, we all like to see things come in three. So what would really be that? Third, this is the big risk area, what you need to be looking for if you're doing international payments. So there's hackers, there's you know the money being misrouted, the money being stolen, the money being lost. Yeah. There's OFAC, uh, which is when it comes to compliance, that's the biggest flag out there. Their fines are astronomical and scary, yeah. and you don't yeah. want to be in the paper for it anyway. But what would be that third thing? You know, if we were to have the trifecta here of these are the three main risks you need to be looking for. So I would say, you know, a big risk, and this gets back to the foreign currency, foreign exchange. Uh, currencies are, currency rates are changing all the time against each other, as, as, as everyone knows. But there's big risk the further out you go. So it, a lot of businesses, they have international payments for their, their business in two, three, four months, five months, six months, eight months out. And they know these payments are coming. And there's a big risk around currency volatility and um, the risk that, that the cost in the future will be greater than it is now. And that can really erode profit margins. So it's sort of currency hedging and risk management around currency hedging. And, and all currency hedging is, is really protecting yourself. It's insurance against future volatility that's unknown in, into, into you know, months, months, months out. So um, it, a good program will work with, work with companies to understand, hey, what do you have coming out in six months? Oh, you need 50,000 euro. Well, you know, the rate today is this and, and you know, you can you can lock in that rate so that six months out, you're not going to, it doesn't matter where the rate is. You've protected yourself. You've, you've mitigated against that future volatility. So that's a, that's, I would say, a trifecta risk, you know, and the, the, the volatility of currency and it can move, you know, quite a bit these days. I mean, we had a huge movement when uh, with the virus and the lockdown in mid-March, mid the dollar got extremely strong against other currencies and now it's given up a lot of that, a lot of that strength. But um, you, you know, the, the movements five, 10% over, over shorter periods of time can really have a big impact on a company's, you know, company's bottom line. So that's a huge one too. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, I, I could definitely see why, because like you said, it could be, a lot of money, let's just say, based on when you purchased those the, or made that exchange. Now, you, you also said, to, too, that that's the risk and the cost in the future will be bigger than it is now. And let's go ahead and let's close this out as we're starting to run out of time. And I want to look at the future possibilities because it is the professor's yeah. three P's, the past, the present, yeah. and the possibilities. When it comes yeah. to foreign exchange, foreign processing, I, I think it's going to get just faster for sure. I think it's going to be yeah. more prevalent and we're going to see much more of it. Smaller, smaller organizations, and I mean one or two people organizations, are starting to have bigger needs for international payments. So what would you say? What do you think? Where do you see the possibilities, the future of international yeah. payments, international exchange going? Yeah, so now that's a great question. So, you know, there's some big themes that we're sort of working on now that are, are, are hugely impactful around the future. And the first is what they're called APIs, Application Program Interfaces. 
where one, where one company's system talks to another. So foreign exchange capabilities can be embedded in companies through an API. Um, that's one thing. Another is artificial intelligence. Clearly, um, you know, actually it's funny, I wrote a blog about uh, artificial intelligence to, to, to uh, deploy a hedging strategy. So you can have a bot that will apply logic and say, well, you know, you have this much currency in six months time and these are the rates and you can query eight different institutions to see what the projections are. And, and then from that, you can make a strategy. So a AI can, can facilitate, you know, things around risk management. I think that's definitely a, a big thing uh, we're going to see more and more in the future. And the other thing is I'm intrigued by the blockchain and how that might impact payments. I mean, there was a lot of talk in the past couple of years about crypto and crypto cryptocurrency is really sort of, at least from our perspective, we don't see any client demand for that. But the, the blockchain itself, there's a lot of interesting possibilities around moving payments faster uh, and more securely. And I think th those three things, I think, will be huge, huge trends uh, in the future. API, application program interface, and then the AI, of course, artificial intelligence. And then lastly, the, the blockchain. So I think that that's what I would see as big, big things coming sort of starting now, but the future impact is still to be determined. Wow. Uh, Andrew, I, I can't thank you enough. You have really given us a lot of information. We went from cumbersome and clunky payments to having flexibility, everything fast and at your fingertips, to covering the risk of what's happening with hackers, OFAC, and of course that exchange factor to finally the future looks like there's going to be more API, there's going to be more AI and we're getting on the blockchain. Uh, I have to agree with all of those. And Andrew, I just want to say thank you for being on the payments podium. Do you have any closing comments that you'd like to say to anybody out there who's considering foreign exchange, what they should be thinking about, what they should be looking at, what they should be doing to make sure that they are managing these risks and looking to the future in the right ways. Well, sure. I think, you know, talking with people like Tempest is very helpful to, to sort of have a partner on your side to help you navigate through the ups and downs and the, the intricacies of, of going abroad. It can really get great technology and, and good insight and, and guidance and, uh, you know, a trusted advisor. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a nice, nice asset to have on your side, so to speak. So that would be my, my encouragement to folks. I have to agree with you too. You shouldn't go at anything alone today. There are plenty of experts out there. Let the experts focus in on what they're good at so you can focus in on what you're good at and together we can all succeed. Again, Andrew, thank you for being on the Payments Podium with the Payments Professor. For all of you out there, if there is a topic that you would like to have on the Payments Podium, email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. Or if you're someone who would like to be on the Payments Podium, maybe you know somebody who should be on the Payments Podium, then again, email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. I thank you all for listening and hope you have a wonderful day. Class is dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.